The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.05, it is Tuesday, September 9th, and we thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. Tonight we bring you an interview with Lee Bergasa of the Raleigh Neighborhoods Program about her work with the program, and as well as our, da- our contributor Dave Klemp's work with that program. In addition, we sat down with Lisa Eberhart, NC State's registered dietitian, to talk about some of NC State Dining's up- upcoming events. And finally, a look into NC State's ice hockey team. But first, let's get our news. This weekend news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. According to a recent report released by Amnesty International this past Thursday, September 4th, torture by Mexican police and military has escalated 600% in the past des- decade. The torture has been manifesting as a form of waterboarding, electric shocks, sexual violence, near asphyxiation, and death threats. Despite Mexico's National Human Rights Commission receiving more than 7,000 complaints between 2010 and 2013 in regards to the mistreatment, little to nothing has been done to discourage it. It's even become an expectation as an investigative technique. The origin of the massive increase in torture can be linked back to 2006, when President Felipe Calderón started a government campaign to combat drug cartels. Since the inauguration of President Enrique Peña Nieto, In December 2012, allegations of torture have decreased, but despite promises to help reduce the issue and some policy changes, it has yet to become a priority to the president. An earthquake measured at 3.5 magnitude hit Zenita, Bosnia, and Herzegovina on Thursday, September 4th, causing a cave-in in a coal mine that killed five and injured 29 others. The men that died were found trapped in the same tunnel and passed away due to carbon monoxide poisoning. This is the third blast and collapse that's occurred in the region the mine is located in this year. After five days of intense rain, reports on Sunday, September 7th, spoke of severe flooding in the Kashmir region in India that has left at least 175 people dead and submerged at least 450 villages, affecting up to 2,000 villages in total. The worst flooding in India has seen in five decades has also led to landslides across the affected region, as well as part of the neighboring Pakistan killing more than 160 and leaving thousands of others displaced. Rescue efforts have been prompt, but disruptions in the communications have hindered the attempts and have created panic among those affected by the situation. The rain stopped on Sunday, but water will continue to spread from overflowing rivers. The largest outbreak of Ebola on record has already killed more than 2,000 people from Western Africa and has reached the countries of Guinea, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Nigeria, and Senegal. The World Health Organization then announced Monday, September 8th, that there are possibly thousand more expected infections in Liberia in the coming weeks. Thus far, over three and a half thousand people have caught Ebola, with nearly half of those coming from Liberia. 
Despite having approximately 570 Ebola treatment centers amongst the hardest-hit countries, the WHO says they need a 1,000 more. The current flight bans and border closures, created with the intent to help stop the disease from spreading, has also slowed some supplies from reaching doctors and nurses fighting the virus. There are efforts being made by the international community to provide aid, but at the moment, the speed of Ebola is faster than medical facilities can be built or supplies can be sent. After two Britons went missing while investigating labor conditions in Qatar, the country finally confirmed it was detaining the two on Monday, September 8th. The two men went missing on August 31st and had traveled to Qatar to inspect potential migrant labor abuse, especially in the wake of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Qatar's foreign ministry stated that the two were being held and interrogated for having violated the provisions of the laws of the state of Qatar. The Britons both work for the Norway-based Global Network for Rights and Development, or GNRD. The organization has called Qatar out in the past over its migrant labor conditions. Qatar, as well as many of the countries nearby, rely heavily upon Asian low-paid migrant workers to make up its workforce, and has consequently come under intense scrutiny since it was announced as the host to the 2022 World Cup. On Tuesday, September 9th, after attempting to launch an attack on a town in Cameroon, Boko Haram suffered more than 100 casualties by the Cameroonian army. Just past the border of Nigeria, where the the Boko Haram group originated, the attack had begun on Saturday, September 6th. The Cameroonian army reported no casualties. The residents near the fighters, though, still abandoned their homes in fear of attacks. Thousands of Nigerians have already fled into Cameroon in attempts to escape the violence. And that's it for the news today. Thanks, Sydney. And now we have an interview brought to us by our contributor, Dave, through his work in Raleigh's Neighborwoods program. Spoiler alert, you might be eligible for a free tree. Here's this discussion with Lee Bergassa. I'm Dave. I'm here with Lee Bergassa in Open Prod, and uh, we're going to talk about the Neighborwoods program. So, Lee, if you could give me sort of an introduction to yourself, what you do, who you are. Okay, my name is Lee Bergassa. I'm the tree planting coordinator for the City of Raleigh Parks Recreation and Cultural Resources Department, and I plant trees. Cool. What's your What's your past? How did you get up to being tree planting coordinator, and what duties does a tree planting coordinator have? My family is very strong in horticulture. I've got a couple cousins that own nurseries and flower farmers, things like that. So I just sort of fell into horticulture, ended up working on a private estate, then got a job planting large trees and started working with the city and have just moved my way up from gardener to tree planting coordinator. So I know you as the person that's in charge of the Neighborwoods program, although you have extra duties beyond that. But I'm focusing on the Neighborhoods program today. So could you tell me what exactly the Neighborhood program is? The Neighborhoods program is a free street tree planting program. We offer free trees to be planted in the right-of-way to basically anyone who lives within the city limits. If they've got room for a tree, we'll offer them a tree. The way the program works, the trees are actually free. They're purchased with donated funds, so it really is a free tree. We deliver the tree. We require that the resident plant the tree and water the tree for two years. But then we in Neighborwoods provide the maintenance on the tree for the life of the tree. So any pruning, things like that need to happen. We do that. Sounds like a good deal to me. I'm a little biased. but So um, I wanted to ask you, how much of a priority do you think Raleigh has made its cities, parks, slash street trees, 
Well, I think we're really, really fortunate, um, not only as city employees, but as residents of Raleigh, to live in a place that does prioritize parks and, more importantly, trees. Um, may not know this, but it's called the City of Oaks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And <laughs> so if we're going to keep using that slogan, we kind of need to Gotta have focus oaks. on the trees. Sure. But more than that, we have a, a council that really recognizes and values the importance of trees and what they provide for us as far as, you know, carbon sequestration and stormwater filtration, all that other, the oxygen making <laughs> stuff that trees do that make yes. us so happy and, you know, really help us value. Help us breathe easy. Yeah. Plus the aesthetic value of having trees, you mm. know, a bare parking lot versus a tree-lined avenue. There's a huge difference. So that's I was that's what I was going to go into next was um, what benefits drawbacks do we have and I'm going to focus on the ecological first. So okay, so that ecologically, yeah, let's talk about benefits. Well, like I said, you know, we all like to breathe, so that's kind of number one. They also uh, trees also really help to clean our air and provide better quality air for us. Hmm. So they intercept particulate matter that we would otherwise be taking into our lungs. They're also cleaning groundwater, filtering some of those harmful, you know, roadway runoff that you get in a major city. Also stabilizing the soil on our banks, things like that. Shading our creeks and rivers. Uh, That's one of the more important parts of water quality is to have nice, cool water um, that provides a good habitat for all the healthy microbes and aquatic invertebrates that make healthy water. And stop, you know, algal bloom and things like that. Sure. They also, like I said, the aesthetic benefits add a lot of quality of life. There's a ton of studies that have come out saying, you know, that people perform better at work if they can look out a window onto trees. They have, you know, less depression. There's, you know, lower crime rates. Trees can even slow traffic down. And they can add up to 30% to the value of your home, which is pretty big. That's an economic benefit, not an environmental, but I like to throw that one out because generally when you talk about things giving you more money, people tend to perk up. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a good transition. (laughs) Economic benefits, drawbacks. What's the, what's an urban forestry division cost the city versus, I know we have kind of a general idea of how much our trees are worth, but. Right. I don't. You know, even though I'm in our urban forestry division, that's not my particular budget. So I don't know exactly Mm. what we do cost as a division, but we are one, what I would consider one of our larger safety items for Mm. um, the city at large. Trees can get very big and Mm. they can have very large, what we call targets when they fall or break. So the targets around a tree, if you think of a tree, again, at the parking lot tree, cars, people, other infrastructure, if a tree is near a fire hydrant and it gets blown over in a hurricane because ground saturated, it can rip the fire hydrant up, cause major water main break. Oh, sure. Uh, gas line breaks, sort of things like that. Um, so that that's a pretty expensive proposition, and it's a major hazard. So it's definitely worth having qualified tree workers um, and certified arborists overseeing your urban forest. Still worth having the tree there, but. Well, well, and again, there, because you your asphalt and concrete doesn't fall over and break things, but also does not make oxygen. Right, right. Okay. So, Neighborwoods has been around for 10 years now, and um, I want to know, do you think that 
Raleigh's urban canopy has improved as a whole since the program's inception 10 years ago? Oh, I think definitely. I think that a lot of people, despite the fact that when they're in a park that's tree-covered, they feel so much better about their world, they don't think about that when they get home. Mm. And in a lot of the new developments, you know, Raleigh's grown tremendously over the past 10 years. And all these new developments where they, the developer comes in and clear-cuts the forest, there's nothing. There's no shade on these streets. There's no, you know, they, mm. the soil that they put back in, they strip the topsoil off. So even the, right. the Bermuda grass sod that they put in can barely survive, and that stuff will, you know, grow in the crack of asphalt. Right. So, you know, if you can't get Bermuda grass to grow, you're, you know, you got some you're, pretty poor you got conditions. Some soil problems. Yeah. Um, so getting those trees in there, you know, the other benefit that they have is as they're dropping their leaves, they're adding organic matter to the soil. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't realize when they're blowing and raking all their leaves away, they're not helping their soil profile. If you really want healthier grass, leave the leaves, chop them up with the mower. Sure. It's going to really help your grass okay? because it's going to improve your soil profile. So there's just so many major benefits of trees. And to see people be so happy, you know, even if all they have room for is a little tiny dogwood, you know, a little small fringe tree, something that doesn't even mature to 20 feet tall, that's still, you know, they'll look out in the spring when it's blooming and, oh, nice little it's tree. It's a little glimmer you know? of nature in the Right. It's a little something. Jungle. And that's <laughs> right. another good point. It's a place for the birds to land. You know, a lot of people like to do some bird watching. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have trees, all you're going to be watching is pigeons, which yes. are fine, but not a whole lot of diversity. What is the future that you envision for Neighborwoods? What What do you see? Where do you see the Neighborwoods program going? We've been a really successful program over the 10 years that the program's been around, Um there's almost 15,000 trees out there, which is a lot of trees. Um, and that is a wonderful, but we're kind of starting to run out of spots in our current model. So what I would like to transition the program to is instead of homeowner by homeowner, neighborhood wide programs and also partnering. We do have um, some public private partnerships going on. I'd like to expand those right now and forever most likely because we are a city program we can only work in the city right of way mm -hmm. um which is basically between the curb and the water meter where you know the sidewalks fire hydrants light posts mailboxes all that sort of stuff goes mm -hmm. um i would like to if we could expand into more of a partnership with a private um 501c3 nonprofit, um then we could offer trees you know, maybe they purchase the trees and we deliver to be planted in the backyard, you know, and we host more seminars. This is how to properly plant your tree. This is how to care for your tree. Um, young tree maintenance sort of guidelines so that because as city workers, we're not going to go on private property and prune your tree, yeah. but we can provide you with the education and the knowledge and the tools to be able to, to prune your own tree. And you expand your limits, not infinitely, but... Obviously, there's still a limit to where you can plant, but by a lot. It's it's a lot, and, you know, when you think about where people want shade, I mean, obviously, we as the city, we want shade on our sidewalks and our roads mm -hmm. um, because the tree shading, our infrastructure keeps it from breaking up as quickly. It also, you know, keeps it from degrading as fast. Okay. Um, so we're actually getting 
more benefit out of the tree that's planted in the right of way than people even realize. Okay. But a lot of people don't have decks and patios and grills in the right of way. They have those in their backyard. And when it's August and it's 105 and you'd like to grill a steak, but it's way too hot out there because you don't have any shade. Hey, wouldn't a free tree program be a nice thing right then? Um, Of course, we're not ever saying you should plant in August. That's a really bad time. But um, if you had planted, you know, between October and March, which we do recommend, then you would have shade in August. Excellent. Well, how can a citizen of Raleigh, somebody that might be listening right now, that lives in the bounds of Raleigh limits, how can they help donate, get a tree, etc.? Hey, um, if anybody wants to participate in the program, they can always send us an email, and the email is uh, trees at raleighnc.gov, or they can call us at 919-996-4865 and either speak to us directly or leave us a message. It's very important um, in any conversation that you have with Neighborwoods that you give us your address, because otherwise we won't know where you are. So mm-hmm. please, uh, if you leave us a message or send us an email, give us your address. Okay. Uh, if people want to donate, right now we're working on a way to donate online, but that's not in place yet. So you'd have to mail a check um, to Neighborwoods at uh, 4225 Daily Road, 27604 in Raleigh. Um, you can always visit our website. We're on the City of Raleigh's website under Community um, on the left-hand side of the Community page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can learn about the species that we offer. There's a nifty little how to plant a tree video. There's a lot more information. Um, And then we do go out. We try to do a lot of art fairs and other park events. But we do attend the the works downtown on 4th of July and other events like that where we try to reach out to people and get donations and participants for the program. So listeners will hopefully get the chance to see Neighborwoods around town there's yeah we do our best to get out there as much as possible and try to help promote the program and again it's not just about promoting the program although you know that's that's pretty big but also about educating people on the importance of trees and the, the importance of the proper care of trees as well okay and and we do neighborhoods does whole neighborhoods neighborhood planting yeah we'll do whole neighborhood planting um in fact right now we've got two Planting's already scheduled for the fall, one in October and one in November. Um, we've got, in the one neighborhood, we have 42 uh, participants, and the other one we have 68. So when we can do those whole neighborhood plantings, we'll get a group of volunteers. People love to volunteer to plant trees. Yeah. And then the homeowner doesn't even have to plant their own tree. We just come in as this big tree planting army and, like, plant it in three hours. Sure. You know, knock it out. And everybody comes home from work or wherever, and they're like, oh, look at how There's lovely our, yeah, of tree here, our whole neighborhood here. has yeah. trees now. That's great. Okay. Well, um, for Eye on the Triangle, this has been Dave. I'm here with Lee Bragasa. We've been talking about the Neighborhoods Program. Thanks for listening, and have a good night. Thanks, Dave. Here in the Triangle, we may live in a warm region, but sports like ice hockey are still pretty popular, and NC State has its own team. Apparently, that's news to some people here, though. Have a listen. So do you guys know that NC State has a hockey team? Yeah. I know. Yeah, I do. No, I don't. No, that's pretty cool, though. Nope. Um, I did not. Yes. Yes. 
All of you. He's going to play. Wonderful. Great. It's pretty good. Yeah, I got it. No. No. Surprisingly, a lot of students don't know that NC State has a hockey team, even though they've been doing really well recently, even earning the title of ACC regular season champions for the past two years. Two players dropped by the studio to talk a bit about the team and what's to come. My name is Mackie Heyman. I'm uh, number 91 for the NC State ice hockey team. So I'm studying business marketing education here at NC State. This is my third year here and on the team. Uh, my name is Garrett Sunda. I'm number seven on the NC State hockey team. I'm currently studying computer and electrical engineering here at NC State. And with the team roster having been finalized just last week, the team is set for a good season. I think we had around 45 players trying out. This puts us in a tough position because we don't want to tell people that they can't play, but at the same time, uh, we have to you know, make sure that we're competitive for the year. So we took, uh, I think, around 25 of the 45. Yeah, and uh, definitely a good new rookie class this year that's going to help us out a lot. Just to speak on that, too, in the past years, like Garrett said, you know, we probably get around a little less than 45, but this year was a great turnout. We also have a great senior class this year that I think is going to lead the team, so we're excited about this year. And, and as far as the competitive goes, you know, I think that NC State, the past two years since I've been on the team, and Garrett as well, um, we've kind of put our stamp down, I think, as being a team that uh, have to worry about in the ACC. And I think that, that fans have started to notice that too, and that's kind of also what's been helpful to uh, our support. So that being said, I think this year it was definitely a good thing to see to see the amount of turnout we have in, in next year's and the years to come. Hopefully that continues, and I think with the marketing and everything, it's just, it's just about you know building our uh, our program up to what it can be. The marketing that Mackey's talking about is the team's recent push to increase awareness and attendance. It's pretty funny because we um so we went to Packapalooza this year beginning of the year and like some people don't even know that we have a hockey team still i think it's actually been around since the late 70s maybe 78 or 79 so it's kind of funny that since then we're still not known by that many people but that kind of goes along with trying to get the word out there and everything like that this year has been great to kind of increase that marketing we've um i think last year we had average of two to three hundred people per game at our home game so it's just an awesome thing to see that increase you know we do a lot of marketing on campus and in and out flyers and stuff like that. So I think that's where we pull most of our crowd from. But a lot of us on the team are also involved in the youth hockey in the area. So we get some of those kids and, and the adults that come out. And I think this year, to know also, we're going to be playing on Saturdays. Our games will be a little bit earlier. We usually play around 9 or 10 o'clock at night. So having our games about 8 or so will be better for Saturdays for the families to come out. So we're hoping, I think, to get a lot more of the community outside of our students to uh, attend our games this year, too. And with their packed schedule, they have to make sure they find the right balance between school and hockey. I like playing the two, three-game weekends because, you know, we do what we love. Um, but it's definitely something that you have to learn how to organize around your school schedule and stuff. Yeah, practicing twice a week on the ice, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and then we usually mandate two off-ice practices a week. So things can definitely get a little demanding at times. But you just have to manage your time right, and that's really the biggest thing. Like, if you know you're going to go away for a three-game away trip, you better get all your work done before that weekend comes. Yeah, we get a lot of guys doing homework on the bus in the hotel lobby, and so our coach always says school's first, you know, so we keep that in mind. This year, the team's home games will be taking place at the Raleigh Iceplex, just a 15-minute drive from campus. It, I think it's going to be a good place for us now. Um, they definitely got some, some nicer features, um, like a PA system and some... You know, I guess to play music throughout the game and things like that. And some more room for fans as well. 
The Iceplex, however, has an Olympic-sized ice rink as opposed to the more standard NHL or American size. For the team, Mackey thinks this could play out well. So when we play the ACC playoffs and the championship, it's on Olympic ice. So um, that might kind of help us out a little bit. You know, we could play it to our advantage. It definitely gives a little bit of a home ice advantage because teams come in and they're not used to the bigger ice surface. It definitely changes that. But at the same time, one thing that we've talked about, you know, the captains and the the leaders on the team, we've talked about our team, we really got to be in shape this year because with the more ice surface, that means the more steps you got to take just to get to the puck. That being said, it's not something that's going to make or break anything. It just takes some time to get used to. To support the team, follow them on Twitter and Instagram at NC State Hockey and on Facebook at NC State Ice Hockey. Also, you can always show your support by heading out to a game. The season opener is next Friday night, the 19th, against Wake Forest. Find their schedule online at ncsuhockey.org. And for anyone worried about whether or not the games will be good, Garrett has this to say. The last two years, we've been ACC regular season champions. So we've definitely been a winning team for the last two years. We went undefeated at home last year. So if you come out to watch the game, you know, you're not really going to get disappointed. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. As many students here probably know, NC State Dining puts on lots of events across campus throughout the semester featuring all sorts of different foods. With Peanut Day coming up this Thursday at Case and Clark Dining Halls, our contributor Sarah sat down with Lisa Eberhardt, NC State's registered dietitian, to find out more about the programs offered. I am here today with Lisa Eberhardt. She is NC State University's registered dietitian, and she is going to talk to us about some of the upcoming events in university dining, as well as local foods and the benefits of local foods in the dining halls. Welcome to the show, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Now, Lisa, I saw you last week in the Brickyard on Wednesday, and you were promoting Taste the Difference. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, we're really excited about Taste the Difference. We're trying to connect local, sustainable food with nutrition on this campus. So we actually picked Wednesday on purpose because that's when the farmer's market's on the brickyard. And we're trying to focus on a local food, both nutritionally and in agriculture for North Carolina, and how we can use that food in the dining hall. So taste the difference means we feel like local sustainable foods taste better and fresh foods taste better. So every Wednesday on the Brickyard, we're going to be focusing on some local food, and then we'll feature it in some way in the dining hall sometime that week with a specialty bar focused on that food. So one week, it might be apples, and we'll be giving away apple recipes, ways to bake an apple in your dorm room, and then we'll focus on apples in the dining hall, and we might do different types of apple recipes. And we're going to do that throughout the semester so that students can say, well, that's local, that's sustainable, here's a healthy way to eat it, and I can work this into my diet. And as I understand, if students come to the table set up during Taste the Difference, they can actually try free samples of this food, correct? Yes, especially if we're having um, a food that day. On the World Hunger Day, we won't be serving any food. But on the other days, there are going to be some sort of samples. Coming up this week on Wednesday on the Brickyard, we're going to be giving samples of all sorts of specialty peanut butters, like chocolate peanut butter, maple peanut butter, and so they can taste those. And then we'll give away peanut samples and a peanut spreader that will help you get the most peanut butter out of your jar. It's interesting. You have to come by to get one. I can't wait, Lisa. (laughs) It really is a great giveaway. On Thursday, on Peanut Day at Case and Clark, we're going to be giving away all sorts of things. And one of the things we're going to give away is the, are the great peanut t-shirts that everybody loves. 
I got mine last year, and on the front of it, it says Peanut Envy, and it's this really pretty gray color, and then the letters are in yellow. So you guys should definitely come out to the dining hall and pick one up. Yeah. And learn something about peanuts. We'll have a local farmer that went to NC State passing out T-shirts and peanuts, and so you can meet the farmer and see, you know, he went to school here, and then he ended up farming peanuts in the state of North Carolina. Can you tell me about what are some of the benefits of peanuts? Well, they're packed with protein. And they're very portable as far, as far as college students go. And everybody knows peanut butter is a cheap sandwich to make if you're packing a sandwich to go. So we want to give you lots of peanut butter ideas for things you can make in your dorm room. And then we're going to have some interesting peanut recipes at Case and Clark, including a Thai peanut salad. And we're going to be giving out recipe cards and samples. And it's just a great event. That sounds really tasty. Can you also tell me about what is happening in Fountain Dining Hall? Because as I understand, some people might have allergies to certain nuts, so there will be no peanut products in Fountain Dining Hall that day? We're not focusing on peanuts at all in Fountain. We do have a peanut grinder in Fountain, but that's the only peanuts we will be having in Fountain, so people can feel like they can eat safely if they have a peanut or nut allergy. We do have a peanut support group, well, not just a peanut support group, a allergy support group here on campus. So if any students have allergies on this campus, they're welcome to come to that support group. It's going to be a networking for people with allergies, but also give you ideas of how to navigate the dining halls and the other food service locations on campus safely. And we're really proud of our allergy program here at NC State. So if you have an allergy and you want to meet some other students that do too and find out some things about campus, please come to Student Health the second and the fourth Tuesday of the month, room 1301. That sounds very interesting for students, especially because not a lot of students realize all that allergy information that is listed in the dining halls. Yeah, we we feel like NC State leads the nation in that. We have everything on this campus analyzed down to the ingredient of every recipe. So if a student wants to know every ingredient in a recipe, say you went to One Earth and you had the baba ganoush and you wanted to know exactly what was in it, you would just go to the iPad or to the website And at the iPad, you could just hover over the items, and the same with the website, and the entire ingredient list will come up. And that helps students that have, so are allergic to the major allergens, but it also helps students that have kind of unusual allergies, like an allergy to a herb or a spice like rosemary. We once had a student on campus that's allergic to rosemary, so she can look up any ingredient in any recipe on campus, which is really, really good. What are some of the other upcoming events happening in university dining? I understand in October you're having an initiative called World Food Day. Well, World Food Day is actually October 16th, but on October 15th we're going to be on the Brickyard. And we're partnering with the food pantry here at NC State for students that have some food insecurity, meaning they just don't, they don't have enough money to eat an adequate diet. And so there's a food pantry for those students here on campus, and we're partnering with them to focus on hunger and collect canned foods and non-perishable foods from students that have food so that we can put it in the food pantry. And we'll be doing that on Wednesday at the Brickyard on October 15th. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Lisa? No, I just want students to realize that there's a lot of information about the food we serve here on campus, and you can access that on the website or the iPads, but you also can access it by emailing me, and there's a place on the university dining website that you can click on ask a dietitian and you can ask me any question or set up an appointment or ask me to come or one of my 
my staff to come and speak in your on your dorm floor or your sorority or whatever. We're we're here to help you find out about nutrition and maximize your meal plan here on campus. Also, Lisa forgot to mention that if you would like to meet her in person and ask her a dietary question, just come out to Taste the Difference every Wednesday from 11 to 1, and she will film your question, and then she will provide you with a video response with the answer to your question. Yeah, we'll put the answer on Facebook, we're going to put it on Instagram, and we'll send it to the person that asked the question, too. Well, Lisa, thank you for joining us today, and it was a pleasure to have you. It was great. Thanks for asking me. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Sarah Wad. Thanks, Sarah. And as always, if you heard anything that you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know and tweet at us at WKNZ underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. Catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. We'd like to thank our international news correspondent, Sydney Bloom, and contributors, Sarah and Dave. Brian the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. Good night.